Good morning, everyone. Got some festivity going on in here, for sure. Thanks, Miss Karen, for getting the kids some lights. If you have your Bibles, let's go to uh, Romans chapter 12. We are continuing our series entitled Renew. Once you look at your neighbor and say, Renew. Now smile real big at them and say, No, I mean, you need renewed. You need renewed. Everyone in the room needs renewed. How many is tired? Amen. Late nights, no sleep, uh, dogs keeping you up all night, that kind of stuff. Well, kids for you guys, dogs for me. It's the same thing. Um, we do need some renewal in our life. Romans chapter 12, starting at verse 1, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable, perfect will of God. For I say, though the grace of God given me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith, for as many as of members of one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body, and Christ individually members of one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to come to your house, to worship you. And God, we just pray today that you would open our minds, open our hearts, and our spirit to be receptive of what your spirit is saying to the church. Uh, help us to have renewal in this room, God. Lord, that we could walk out of this place with a new lease on life, knowing that you're with us wherever we go. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody says, Amen. The definition of renew means to make like new, to restore freshness, vigor, or perfection as we renew our strength in sleep, to make new spiritually. The word we talked about last week was regenerate. Uh, to restore to existence, to revive, or to make an extensive change in, like the word rebuild. To do again, which the word repeat. To begin again, to means resume, and to replace or replenish. So there's all kinds of words that begins with R-E, uh, verbs that be title us into this place uh, of renewal. And how that renewal is something that we should seek as individuals in the kingdom of God. And Renew series is based around the ideal that as a church that we're training your kids to put God first in everything. And if you're training your kids to do something, how many knows you have to live that example for them to follow? Amen? So if we want our kids to put God first in everything, we should put God first in everything to be the example that they would follow. And last week we talked about uh, sparing the rods, pulling the child, uh, Kylie verse that... Uh, we have heard all of our life in Proverbs. Uh, but this week I want us to look at, uh, in the sports uh, ideal that this uh, series is based around, and as I begin to contemplate about what does the Bible say about sports, and uh, the Bible is full of, of phrases and verses that talk about uh, sports in, in different athletic type of events. And this book that we just read out of Romans was 
the Empire of Rome, they had a lot of different uh, festivities, and their culture was based around different things and, and, and different uh, athletic-type things. So it was nothing new to them to hear about an athletic type of message. And Paul was the master of putting that, those type of messages into context to make us see in Scripture or in our religion or in our uh, way of looking towards God in an athletic perspective. And as we looked at that verse there that it talked about in Romans that, uh, that we're to present our bodies a living sacrifice to the holy and acceptable God, which is uh, a reasonable service. And then he went on to say that we should renew our mind, right? That we should have a, a uh, way of looking at life that we need a renewed mind, that we need to have a new way of, a new lease on life, a new way of looking at things. And in renewal, we see that. That God allows us to have a renewal off times in our life. And our religion is not based around a one-time event. That salvation, yes, happens in an instantaneous moment when you ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. He comes in and fills your heart. And then from that point forward, you live your Christian life, you attend church services, you do outreaches, and you try to do all these things to renew your Christianity and do things to uh, be involved and that renewal comes when we're a living sacrifice. That renewal comes when we offer ourselves and consider ourselves less than our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and our neighbors in the world. That's why Paul said we ought not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Amen? But to think of ourselves soberly. To think of ourselves as less than those around us so that we can be servants because that's just what Jesus taught us to do. If we don't serve, we need to ask ourselves, am I truly following the pattern of Jesus? He served all of humanity while he was living on this earth for the 33 and a half years he was here. But as I was thinking about, you know, the athletic perspective of this, that we can look at the screen and whenever I made the little image, the graphic and I put cheerleaders, and there's a volleyball on there, there's tennis, there's baseball, there's basketball, and I couldn't fit all the different sports onto the picture, but as our kids are actively involved in sports in the culture that we're growing up in, that there's a, a ideal that there is a team concept, right? That if you uh, get on a basketball team and you're on that basketball team, and it says here in these verses in Romans that not everybody has the same function. So if we apply that to our Christianity uh, or our basketball experience, that maybe you was on a basketball team when you was in grade school. I got a technical uh, and got kicked out of the game once, and then I made an F the next semester, and I got kicked off the team. So I didn't get my basketball experience wasn't real long, uh, but it did last for a little while enough for long enough for me to get a technical. You know what a technical is, right? It's when you get so mad that you squeeze the ball and you slam it on the floor. It don't really work out well for you because the referee will slap his big T on you and you'll go sit down and be out of the game. Uh, Mr. Wells wasn't very proud of me <laughs> for my uh, athletic abilities and my temper. But Romans tells us that not everybody has the same part, right? So if you're on that basketball team and, 
and you're a point guard, your job is to take the ball and run down the court with it, right? You're the guy, the point guard, that you can take it to the basket and you can get from one end of the court from the other quickly and to handle the ball and all that. And then there's another position, the center, that goes and stands, you know, but you can't stay in the paint too long. You got to get in and out and you got to stand there. You got to be the rebound guy and you got to go for to put the ball back up if, if your point guard misses it or, and all these different positions in basketball proves that not everybody has the same function. And in the church, it's just like that. Not everybody here has the same function. Amen? Amen. So if Dusty's a drummer and, and I can't play the drums, it's not my job to go up there and fill in for Dusty, right? If I just beat and bang and thrash and make a bunch of noise and there's no rhythm, or I don't have any rhythm, none at all. I mean, I'm literally rhythmless. And I, I wouldn't do any good backing Dusty up with that. So his function is to play the, play the drums. And there's other people here that play the drums. You could back him up. I can't. So that's the function, right? That's your position. That's where you offer your body as a living sacrifice is to offer it in the church to do uh, the upbuilding of the rest of the saints because, uh, you know, Greg playing the lead guitar. I, I can't play a lead guitar, so it isn't my job to come up here and grab the lead guitar and play lead guitar because I can't play that, right? So I can't fill in that position. I can't do that. So that's not my function. But I can play the bass a little bit. So if Donna misses or she's on call or this or that, sometimes I'll fill in and play the bass. I'm not nearly as good as her, but I can play a little bit, so I can do that. I can jump in and do that. That's my function, right, to find our place, the where we can serve others with the talents that God has given us and to build on those. And in the teamwork perspective of that, that God wants us, and Paul was telling the Roman people, the Roman church, that there needs to be a team approach, right, where we all offer our place and our position to do what we're called to do. And as this happens, I was thinking about the team aspect, and uh, that's the good thing about sports, is it can teach kids and train kids that they need to learn to depend on others. Amen? To not tackle life by themselves. I loved it a few weeks ago when Pastor Dusty preached and talked about, you know, the, the issue of suicide and different things. And it's really caused me to begin to dig and look into and research and make the post. And it's, it's really sad because last week I found out uh, where me and Leslie uh, was in church down in Middlesbrough for four years. We was down there living in that town. There's a little teenage boy there the day in the eighth grade uh, being bullied, being uh, Picked on by his peers, and he went home and took his life. It's just so sad for that to happen. And don't do life alone. Amen? In church, don't do life alone. You need each other. You need to be an encouragement to each other. I, I loved it a minute ago. Little Lamb was sitting over here, and Greg and all the people on the a platform up here that play music a lot of times they don't get to shake hands with everybody and I was watching when Greg come down off the podium a minute ago and he he got over there and little lamb chased him down and I really believe that little lamb thought man I got to get to him he didn't get to shake somebody's hand that's the way their mind so as the mouth of babes he's perfected praise is what God says we need to act more like that amen that we look at each other and cherish each other and love each other and say I don't want to leave anybody out amen, amen? be like lamb Everybody say that with me. Everybody be like Liam. Amen. Chase him down. Greg was walking away from him. He, he took off and he took a step, and, and his legs are not as big as Greg's, but he ran over there. He's like, I'm going to catch him. And another thing is that Greg was gracious enough to turn around and get down on his knee and give Liam a hug. 
How many knows when you serve others, sometimes it comes back to you and you receive back to yourself? It's a picture of who we are as a church and how we are to act as human beings. That the world would be a better place if the church was a giving church. Amen? That we, we give of our time, talent, and treasures to make the kingdom of God all it's supposed to be. Amen. Renew. I would love for the world to see a church in a renewed state. The world that we was passionate about the, the religion that we're a part of. That we would be passionate about the God that we serve. That we would truly be the examples, the city set upon a hill, a shining light to the world that the church is intended to be. That's what Jesus told us to be. But in the ball arena, you need a team to play. So if I was going to play football, I couldn't go out and, and grab a football and take on a team of, I don't know how many people's on the field, how many is it? Uh, huh? 11? Is that right? Football, yeah. You got... 22 total, 11 per side. So I can take on a team, say I'm going to go play the Bengals or the Bungles, whatever you want to call them, and, and I'm going to go out on the field, and they're all out there. There's 11 of them, and I'm thinking I'm on this side of the court or this side of the field, and I'm on offense, they're on defense, and I'm going to play all by myself. So I'm going to, I'm going to hike the ball, and then I'm going to run back here and catch it myself, and then I'm going to throw it, and then I'm going to run out here and catch it and receive it, and then I'm going to take off and go score. That's how a lot of people live life. That it's all about me. And God tells us to be a selfless church. Amen? A church that's renewed will not be a selfless church. It will be a church where that everybody is included. Everybody is prized. Everybody is cheered on and saying, you have a purpose. You have a reason. So at Bethesda, I want you to know here today, you have a reason you're sitting here today. You have a reason and a purpose that you attended church today. You have a reason for the people that go down and help with the children's church and the, and the mothers that are able to go down there and, and, and cheer on the other kids in the room and for Karen to bring the lights for the kids. Why are, why are we not an encouraging church? We need to be, amen? Because it's about the team. It isn't about me. And it isn't about you. It's about Jesus and all that he wants us to be. So as I was thinking about this athletic part of it, I, I tried to think about a verse that I could come to to, to to apply to our life today. And I think we need to turn to um, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. When I was thinking about sports and something that uh, was written in Scripture, this is Paul the Apostle writing back to the Hebrews um, and the church as a whole for the Hebrew people. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, whom for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So Paul is saying here, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Who is he talking to? Who is he talking about? Who is the great cloud of witnesses? And if you put this in context and look back through and figure out and tie it together, you need to go back to understand this verse. I need to go look at the previous verses, right? I've told you that enough as your pastor that if you're going to contextualize a verse, you have to know what was happening before it and after to truly put it into perspective of what God's trying to tell us. 
So if we look at a great cloud of witnesses that Paul is talking about, he writes about all kinds of people in Hebrews chapter 11, and he spells out the faith that they lived life by and how that they overcome obstacles and they were successful in life because of God giving them the abilities to do things that they didn't have, weren't capable of on their own. It's called, if in, in the church world, we call it the hall of faith. So we've got Hall of Fames, right? We know Hall of Fames. We, you can go up in Ohio, up there to Calhouga Falls or something like that's the name of it, and that's a, a place up there where the Hall of Fame is for the NFL, and you can go through there, and they got these pictures, and they, they prize people, and they only allow so many in uh, so many, every year. They put them up for nominations, and they only accept so many into the Hall of Fame. So if you want to work, look back through Scripture, you got to look, where's the hall of faith? Is there a chapter in the Bible where that God poured it all down into one few, I think it's like 40 verses in there, right? Something like that. Yeah, 40 verses in, in Hebrews chapter 11. And God compiled it down, all of Scripture, into this hall of faith. The great of the greats. The ones that did miraculous things. And some of them weren't famous people. It's not about fame. It's not about popularity. It's, a, it's not about a, a contest to see who could make the hall of faith. It's because they lived their life and did what God told them to do is the reason they ended up in this scripture. So Paul's saying that there's a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us that is an example for us to follow if we're going to live by faith. But then he says we will run a race, right? There is, there is a thing known as track. In field, I guess they call it still, maybe. And one time I was in... Uh, I think it was ninth grade, Coach Riley was my coach or teacher, instructor for PE, physical education, used to be what they called it, and he, he took us down, and we went down over the hill there at Lewis County, and we went down there on the track, and I think the track wasn't too awful old at that time, it still wasn't broke up and all busted the way it is today, but it was pretty nice, it was level and plain and all that, and, and he took us down there and he said, you're going to run, I think it's four laps around that to, to run a mile. So I'm standing there, and, and he did this for a little while through the summer type, you know, good weather. And there's this boy in my class named Stephen Smike. Stephen Smike was, he played baseball on the baseball team. He was uh, pretty fast, and, and I, I was standing there, and, you know, usually I just walk and didn't care and just live in life and whatever. And one day, I don't know what got into me. I was walking down the hill, and I thought, today's the day. I'm going to stay up with Stephen Smike. I'm about the same height as him, about the same weight. And I looked, and I said, well, if Stephen can run like that, then maybe I can run like that, right? I, I should be able to keep up with him. So I, I look, and I stand there, and Coach Riley gets us down, and, you know, you're standing there on the starting line, and he blows his whistle for you to take off, and I take off, and I'm running, and I'm staying step and step with Stephen Smike. And I'm looking over, and I'm like, yeah, I got this. Uh-huh. You think you're all that in a bag of chips, big boy? Watch me. And after about 40 steps... My wind runs out, and I start tailing off pretty quick. And Stephen Smike's keeping on going, and I'm back here now walking, sweating, and it's like I'm going to pass out, right? Because I thought I was the same size as him, and on the outward, I can look at the outward appearance of man, and I can compare myself to one another. The Bible tells us not to do that, right? But on the outside, we looked the same, but on the inside, there was something different about Stephen Smike. The difference was he had been preparing and he had been in baseball practice and he had been running a lot. 
And his tendons and his muscles and all that was built up for that endurance to run the race. And that's what Paul says here. Run the race with endurance, right? If you don't prepare, if you don't practice, if you don't continue in faith, you're going to be run out of breath before you even get started. Amen? So I was trying to keep up with him. So really, I looked like a fool, right? I kept up with the fast guy for 10 steps, 300 feet maybe, and he keeps on going. And guess what? You still got three more laps, honey, after you come around this one. So I began to walk. Next thing you know, I was completely in the back, just like always. But this time I really wanted to try, but I didn't have the endurance to run the way I should because I didn't practice, because I didn't put myself forward, because I didn't do it the way it should be done. And I think about people in the church. That's the way sometimes we do, right? We look over and we look at Ernie and say, well, if Ernie can pray like that, then, then I'll just be able to get up in the morning and just, well, glory to God, how are you today, God? And just, you know, pray like Ernie. It'd be easy to think like that, right? You look at him and say, well, I'm the same size as Ernie. I've got vocal cords like Ernie's got. And, and then you get up and you stand there and you start to pray and you run out of words, three words in. Amen? Good morning, God. Uh, I don't know what else to say, God. Right? But he has trained. His endurance in prayer is because he's prayed for 40 years. We shouldn't expect to pray the way he prays on day one. But guess what you have to do? You have to get up in the morning, whether you like it or not, and you have to say, good morning, God, even if that's the only word you got. And then you've got to add to it and add to it and add to it, and you will build yourself up to where that you'll be able to pray like Ernie. Amen? The endurance comes from practice makes perfect. And if we're going to look at this sports type arena, uh, is not our kids running a race? Are they not running a race, a spiritual race in life? That, that if we don't be the examples for them to follow, if they don't learn how to pray, if, and that's what I thank God about for the youth but with Dusty and Albie, that they continuously, uh, whenever you, if you've never come to a youth group meeting, you should. Everybody stands in a circle at the end, and they pray for each other, and they ask for prayer requests, and they go around, and every one of them prays. Some kids pray a lot of prayer words. Some kids pray a few words. And nobody looks down there, nobody judges, and nobody snickers, and nobody makes fun. They allow each other to be individuals. And if we're going to be a team, we have to build each other up. We have to be that encouragement. We have to be able to say, yeah, it's okay to pray three words. And I assure you, if you just get up in the morning and say, good morning, God, it makes his heart leap for joy. Whether you say thousand words like Ernie in his prayer, Leslie calls them Thanksgiving prayers. So if you ask Ernie to pray for the food, he's going to pray for five minutes. Whether it's Thanksgiving or whenever, he's just going to thank God for the food. That's why he does it. Somebody asked me to pray one time, and I, I said, Thank God for this lunch. Or how, how, no, it wasn't what I said. Uh, thanks a bunch as we munch on our lunch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's your good prayer if you want to get started. Just next time somebody asks you to pray, Ryan, at, at the Thanksgiving dinner, just, just lay that one down. Just 
thanks a bunch as we munch on our lunch. So as I look through this Hebrews chapter 11, there's a whole bunch of people in there that's uh, pictures of examples for us to follow. If there are a great cloud of witnesses, and Paul is saying that they have run a race with endurance, right? That they have laid off sin and they are no longer hindered in their walk with God. He says these are examples to follow, right? He's given us an ideal that these are people that we can look at because some of them are normal, everyday people. There's people in there, Rahab was a harlot. She's listed in Hebrews chapter 11 as one of the great heroes of the faith. And think about that. A harlot. You know what a harlot is, right? It's a prostitute. So God took a prostitute and made her a person that turned into a person in the great cloud of witnesses, which is about, I don't know, 20-some of them listed in that, in that text. So out of 22 of the most famous people in all of Scripture, this lady that was a prostitute, after she encountered God, becomes so much like God that she become in the picture of the 22 most famous people in Scripture. And you're sitting here saying, well, God can't use me. He can use whoever he wishes. But all he asks for is your obedience to follow and jump in and do something and offer your living sacrifice, which is your life. That's what he's asking of us today. And if we're going to have renewal, it's where we offer day in and day out to the things of God. That we offer every day. My life, God, it's yours. Add that to your good morning, God. Take this life and make something of it because I've made a mess. Amen? I've hurt. I've penalized. I've held grudges. I've done backbiting. I've done all the things that you're not supposed to do. Good morning, God. Take this life, a living sacrifice, and make something of it. And if you pray that prayer, he will. Because this great hall of faith that we have here is not like the hall of fame. Because the hall of fame sometimes is biased, right? They won't let Pete Rose in. Why? Well, he's a gambler. I can't believe he waged money on a baseball game. Has anybody in here ever made a bet? Amy, you ain't never bet on anything? I remember Mr. Taylor in high school, he, he would take bets, and one time he'd come in, and I mean, he would put out money, and he run kept score and give you so many points and all that stuff, and he was the art teacher, and one time the principal walked in. He had money like <laughs> everywhere. I learned how to bet from the best. So if Pete Rose can't get in because he bets, why would I expect to be in? Amen? We'll judge others according to our judgment, but we won't live out the same judgment ourselves because I guarantee you everybody that's in the Hall of Fame at one point in their life has done something that would prevent them or make them, cause them to give them reason to say, well, you shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. Induct Pete Rose into the Hall of Fame. And also the Hall of Fame for the football. Who, who is it, Craig? Who, who's your NFL team or player? Who? who? Bungles. Okay. What, what uh, player should be in the Hall of Fame? You're... Maybe they already are, just somebody that you really. Yeah. Pretty pretty good player, you're right? Yeah. Ryan, do you watch NFL? You got any player or anything? 
Brandon, you got any? I know who Brandon's team is. Oh, he wears the coat and all that stuff. It's you know, right? You could probably answer for him because you have to live with him, put up with him. So, who who would you say? I I didn't see that coming at all. <laughs> yeah. So there's this Hall of Fame, right, that we put people in because of what they've done or their deeds, right? But I watched a video the other day that uh, Sam uh, sent me, and it was this NFL player that plays for the Vikings, and he goes to the hospital just about on a daily basis, and he, he built this big center at the hospital, up at a children's hospital, where the kids could go and play games. It's called the end zone, and and it allowed uh, real sick little kids, and he, he, he would go in their rooms and meet with them and meet with their families and, and text them and just constantly stay in contact with people. And he, this is nothing new. He's lived his whole life this way, this player. And, and he, he, he had friends in high school that everybody else would abandon because they didn't look like everybody else or they didn't act like everybody else. And he would go and stick with these friends that he had, and he still texts them to this day. Uh, some people that's left back by society. And, and I don't know that people like that a lot of times end up in the Hall of Fame because they're so busy out doing other things for society and culture that maybe they're not the best player on the team. But if you walk into a sick little baby's bedroom and be that shining star and that, that uh, famous person that leans down and prays and be an example to those that are without, I think there's a hall of faith for people like that, too, still even in today's culture. And as I watch that video, it's a real tearjerker. It's about eight minutes long. I'm going to share it on the Facebook page later today. And take the time to watch it, because that's the examples that we should follow. Just because he's made millions doesn't make him superior to everybody else. He still gives back. still gives back to society. He wants to be that example for others to follow. And he don't do it for the fame. He does it because he loves the kids. He does it because he wants them to feel like they're as equal as their peers. And as I look through this hall of fame and this hall of faith here in the Bible in Hebrews chapter 11, I wonder how many of your kids could name anybody in those texts and look up to those people versus maybe superheroes. So I just challenge you as parents to go home and ask your kids, who's the super superhero? What are they going to name? Superman, Batman, right? Spider-Man. She-Ra. Anybody remember She-Ra? Rachel does. She's back there smiling. So. There's, right, He-Man. you got all these different characters that are these super elite heroes that kids live out their life understanding and naming who all these people are and yes they get good qualities and yes you can make a godly example out of some of those people and tell them how they're compassionate how they're caring how that they watch out for society and you can make it into a godly thing even out of the superheroes but i believe that they should know who's in the hebrews chapter 11 versus the hall of faith right they should know that king david and who he lived and how he lived his life and what he did that he was a man after god's own heart i believe your kids should grow up knowing these individuals in this hall of faith more so than they do even the superheroes they should know that yes god can use a prostitute and make her to do great things and have 
a king be her grandson. They should know those stories. Because renewal comes from understanding history so they don't have to repeat it. Why do you have a Bible in your lap? Because God wants you to know the history so you don't have to repeat the mistakes that everybody else made. Amen? He wants you not to have to live through the pain of what your forefathers lived through. And he's asking you today, run this race. Run this life understanding that your kids has heroes. And you can be one of them. Your grandkids have heroes. And you can be one of them. Your nieces and your nephews have heroes. And you can be one of them. I remember my little nephew when he was real little. He had two grandmas. And he would talk about my mom and he would say he didn't know how to tell their names apart or anything. He was real little. He say the mammal that loves Jesus or the mammal that loves horses. That was the two influences in his life at that time was one of my mammals loves Jesus and one of my mammals loves horses. And that's the only way he knew how to explain who he was talking about. Don't you want to be that grandma or that aunt or that uncle or that mom or that dad or that big brother or that big sister that your kids are saying, I want to be like that. The one who loves Jesus. Running that race is what we need to live by. Because not everybody has the same talents. Not everybody has the same gifting. I remember one time I was in A-League baseball, and I always wanted to play sports. Howie never did, and Mom made him play because I played. And on A-team, I was there, and my coach was Chuck Bentley and uh, David Skidmore, and they would come down there at the field, and they'd practice with us and play with us. And Teddy there asked to pray for his kids. They're a little bit under the weather. He messaged a minute ago and said it would come up on my phone. So keep them in prayer. But Teddy offers and volunteers still today, coaches and stuff. But as I was on that team, I was just a young kid, and, and uh, I watched these other people pitch, you know, and they was pretty talented at pitching. And I thought, that looks like a cool position, right? And I... I would go down to behind the barn because I didn't want Howie making fun of me or anybody else, right? I'd go down behind the barn, and Brandon, I'd pick up rocks, and I'd stand there, and I'd hike my leg and do every mannerism that they did pitching, and I'd try my best and, and practice a bunch. And, and one time, uh, Chuck asked me, he said, you want to pitch, right? I don't know how he knew that. And I just, yeah, yeah, I want to pitch. So after practice, everybody else left, and, and Chuck and David stayed there, and, and I was, he put me out there on the mound, and, and it, whenever you're that age, you're impressionable, right? So I'm there, and I'm like, man, they're going to give me a chance here. And, and I get the ball and get my glove, and, you know, I'm there, and got my uh, leotards on or whatever they are, them pants, you know, whatever they miss. And, and I stand there, you know, all spiffy looking. I still got that picture. I'll, I'll share it to, to you guys. I'll, I'll put it on there. Uh, pretty spiffy looking. And, and I just, you know, rear back and do everything I thought to do and throw it all I had. I had no accuracy. I mean, I might throw it 10 foot over his head or I might bounce it off the ground 15 foot in front of the plate. I didn't have no, I wasn't able to pinpoint where that ball was going to go. It wasn't one of my giftings, right, to be a, a pitcher. And, and, and Chuck put up with me for a little while and then finally just like, well, I don't know about that. You're going to just have to stay in right field, I guess. 
because that's the place where I needed to be. Sometimes he'd let me go to third base whenever somebody else would get hurt and he didn't have nobody else to put there. He'd put me on third base because that's the place you put the kids that gets hit with the ball and they're tough enough to take it and they'll keep on getting mad and play harder. Right? That's a good place for me. You hit me with the ball, I'll get mad and try harder. That was just the way I was. So sometimes I'd get third base. Most time I was in outfield, though. But I had to play and I had to be coached according to my gift, right, to the team. And looking back at that, it builds character. Amen? It builds character. Sports build character. I believe in it. There's all kinds of different clubs and different things. There's Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and there's all kinds of things that we can do to help encourage our kids to be in sports and make it a godly thing. Last week I preached that message, and I'm really intent on this, that I want us to understand that it isn't church versus sports. If we got that concept that we think that church is versing sports, and we think God don't want our kids involved in running the way Paul said that we need to run a race, we're fooling ourselves. Because it should be the church getting into the sports to take Jesus Christ to the sports. Because there's kids on the team that will never hear about Jesus other than if a Christian gets on the team. And we're truly missionaries wherever we go. And we take God with us wherever we go. But there was a, a girl that I know, and she shared a thing last week. It was on Sunday night. I was sitting there flipping scrolling through my Facebook, you know, and looking like we all do. And I'm looking through there, and she shared a picture, a little meme. And it was, it was downgrading or disheartening to parents saying that you are a mess, basically, if you take your kids to sports and miss a church service. I didn't know she was going to share that. And I preached about it last week. It's like, we can be Jesus to people without Jesus if we'll take our head out of the sand and think we're going to get by and the only thing that matters is me attending church. And I want you here. I want you here every time you can be here. The Bible says, forsake not the assembly of yourself together, much more as you see the day approaching. It's Hebrews that tells us that, right? We should attend church services. But if you miss to take your kid to a cheerleading thing or you miss to take them to a practice or you miss to do that, I'm not going to degrade you. I'm not going to demean you. I'm not going to act like you're failing your kids because if you can impart in your kids and say, we're going today, honey, and maybe God will open the door where that you can share Jesus with your kid and be open with them and communicate with them and make them be the little missionary that God's called them to be where they're going. Amen? I believe as a church we have to practice what we preach. We can't preach about missionaries around the world and sit here in our own little club and act like we're doing everything God wants us to do when there's a whole world around us that's going to go to hell in a handbasket if somebody don't go to them and preach to them about Jesus. Amen. Let's be the example that God called us to be. One of my favorite verses about running is this. It's Isaiah chapter 40 verse 31. It says, but they who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. How many want some strength? Amen. I'm talking about where you don't yawn anymore the rest of the day. Some strength, <laughs> amen. Some vigor, some passion, right? But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. It's one of my favorite verses about running. Athletics. Renewal. I want to run and not be weary. 
Because I can tell you, on the outside, I thought I was the same size as Stephen Spike, but on the inside, I hadn't trained at all. And when I took off running, I got weary pretty quick. And there's people in this room that sometimes you've tried to match up with somebody else because you've looked at their gifting and think, I want to do that. And you wear yourself out and you get weary in well-doing. You shall reap if you faint not. And then it goes on to say that you will walk and not faint. When I got weary, Ernie, Coach Riley was still out there saying, no, you got to do the whole four laps. Jason must have had him. <laughs> He's shaking his head, yes. You thought you was all hip and all that, and you was going to try to run with Stephen Smock, and you got in 300 feet worth, and you got out of breath. You're still going to run four laps. I don't care if you got to walk them. So whenever I run, I got out of breath, and my side's hurting. You know how that is. I don't even know what that is. There's something in your side there. It has a running button, and it like feels like a knife shoving in your side. That's what I had. And as I began to walk, and then the farther I walked, I still had to keep going because he's pressuring me right, and I'm sweating, and I'm just pouring the sweat, and uh, I don't even like this, and, man, I ain't going to do this no more. And as I was walking, I about fainted. I felt like off times I felt like I was going to faint. What if we would have renewed strength because I wait on God? There's people in this room today, you need to hear this. If you want rest, learn to wait on God. It's what he wants us to do. When your kids, when you're trying to raise your kids to know God, and maybe you'll go out of this room today and you'll think, man, I'm going to go home this week and I'm going to get up early, Jason, and I'm going to tell my kids about Jesus and it's just going to be a glorious day and Amy's going to get in there and her cereal's going to be made and there's toast and butter and all that. It's going to be perfect, right? And you get up Monday morning after leaving church thinking this week's going to be a different week and you go in there to the kitchen and where you get in there, you got a little hoodlum Alex and she spills her milk and then she looks over and Brandon's mad and the whole world's, the wheels come off pretty quick, Amen. It can be easy to grow weary when it don't go like I planned it. Amen? But the deal is, wake up on Tuesday and say, good morning, God. It's a living sacrifice. I'm here today, and I'm going to try again. If you'll wait on God and continue to progressively move forward in your walk with Jesus, you'll run and not faint. Amen? Let's stand. We're going to end with this prayer of ours as a verse of Psalms 51.10. This is King David. And he prays this prayer, and King David is this individual that is, he's done great things for God. He killed lions, he killed bears, he killed Goliath, he killed armies of people. They said of, of David, they said, Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. David done great things for God. He set up Jerusalem. Done all kinds of great things for God. But he got to this place where that he took on too much sin and he wasn't playing like a team and become selfish and he took another man's wife and had him killed and murdered. He got to this point in his life where that his oldest son said, you know what, Dad, I'm tired of waiting on my inheritance. I'm going to kill you and I'm going to take it. And David watched his army go out and kill his own oldest son. Can you imagine the pain and the anguish of dealing with that? 
waking up in the morning knowing I've done other people wrong. And I don't know that I can go on, God. I just wonder if there's people in this room that way. Saying, God, I'm tired of being a failure. I'm tired of coming up short. Pray this prayer the way King David did. Because after he prayed this prayer, he wound up getting enough materials that his son Solomon built the first temple in Jerusalem. The welling wall that's over there today, where all the Jewish people, you see them, they go and pray and all that. King David made that possible because he prayed this prayer. And you don't know what a prayer like this will do to set you on a new course and a new lease in life. There will be renewal, and your kids will be infected by it. You bow your head and close your eyes if you will. I just want to ask you a simple question. Everybody here, nobody looking around. Everybody with your head bowed and your eyes closed. Is there anybody here? Say, Pastor Ben, I need renewal. I need strength. I'm weary. And I need God to come in. Amen. Thank you for those hands. Anybody else? Thank you for those hands. They're everywhere. Thank you. Amen. You're going to walk out of this place today with strength, I promise you. I want everybody here to pray this prayer. Everybody say it with me. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.